number two of Vermont Viewpoint has arrived, and in the transition from the holidays to getting back to our normal routines, we have more stuff to either recycle or throw out. I mean, it's amazing. Wrapping paper, bows, Christmas trees, cardboard boxes, and the list just goes on and on. We are most fortunate to have Beth Parent of the Chittenden Solid Waste District on the line to discuss how well recycling is going. Chittenden County is the state's most populous, of course, and so therefore it seems the most, sees the most waste and probably the most different kinds. Beth Parent, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we Happy are, New Year. Happy New Year to you, and we are very glad to have you. Um, so when do you see the largest amounts of trash? Is it right now? So, sure, this has been obviously a really busy time of year for us. Um, folks are, are cleaning out. They're, they're putting all of their holiday stuff away and, and seeing what works, what doesn't work, what can be reused, what can be recycled. Uh, so this has been a pretty busy week for us last week and, and, and probably this week, too. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the biggest items first. This is quite often Christmas trees. There are some options out there. Um, what are they? So obviously for the folks in Chittenden County, we have several different options for your Christmas trees. Um, our organics recycling facility, which is on Redmond Road in Williston, it's the home of our Green Mountain Compost. Folks can drop off trees there. We also have three of our, dro- of our six drop-off centers that um, allow us to allow folks to accept their trees. Um, Essex, Milton, and South Burlington. And, you know, there's lots of other options for folks who can't make it to one of our facilities. I know I live in South Burlington, and they have a, a fundraising program for the high school, and they come around and they pick up trees. Burlington picks up trees. Um, City of Essex has public works crews that are picking up trees. So um, there's lots of options for folks out there um, to, to get rid of their, their unwanted Christmas trees. The only thing that we ask is please make sure all decorations are removed, any tinsel bows, decorations, that those all need to be removed first. I imagine those are easy to miss for people who are trying to pull stuff off their trees. Um, and exactly. curbside pickup, does that happen in Chittenden County for trees? For some communities, it does. I mean, that's not something CSWD does. We have our drop-off centers and our organics recycling facility. But as I mentioned, um, the city of Burlington, has uh, they have curbside. Same with city of Essex and the town of Essex. Um, and then if folks have any other questions, they should contact their haulers. Uh, I live in Franklin County, and uh, I heard recently that um, a couple of different uh, small farm operations have invited people to drop off their trees so their goats can eat them. Isn't that a great option? We <laughs> talk about, like, what an amazing opportunity to get your Christmas tree back into, you know, like, back to the land and back to helping feed people. And you get to see some goats, too, right? Uh, exactly. I, I suppose um, it all comes back to uh, eat, poop, die from our last segment because <laughs> eventually that's where the trees would go if they get fed to goats. Um right. In my household, we had a discussion about wrapping paper and bows, that kind of thing, what's mm-hmm. recyclable and what isn't, and we weren't 100% sure of what the best way to handle it is. Um, in Chittenden County, what, what, are, what, are those people, what, what are those things that you get at Christmas time that are actually recyclable? So um, if it's a paper wrapping paper, so that means if you if you try a little tear test, if you rip the side of your wrapping paper and it's a clean break, like it's just paper, that can go in your blue bin. If there's any glitter or foil or plastic coating, 
unfortunately, that has to go in the trash. Um, so that's why we work with folks ahead of the holiday season to say, let's come up with some creative solutions to wrapping paper. Um, some of our team, they like to wrap it in a beautiful uh, decorative um towel that can be reused later and or you know or find some creative packaging that can be reused and or recycled but definitely if it if it passes that tear test you can put it in your blue bin 802-244-1777 that is the number to call if you have a question about trash or recycling for beth parent of the chittenden solid waste district um we uh, have a lot of cardboard, plastic, that kind of stuff. Um, is there a what is what are the differences there between what's recyclable and what isn't? So most cardboard is recyclable. We ask for folks to flatten it and put it in your blue bin. Um, if it's got a ton of tape, try and take as much tape off as possible. If it's more tape than not, unfortunately, that should probably go in your in toss it into the trash. Um, but uh, and uh, I'm just trying to make sure size limits. Um, you can take uh, the cardboard also into our, our drop-off centers, too, for the folks in Chittenden County. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine that plastic bottles um, maybe are everyone's biggest headache in the waste handling business. Um, we hear that in this country only about 10% of plastic bottles get recycled. What is your sense of how it's going uh, with plastic bottles in Chittenden County? So, you know, I think this is a success story for Vermont. Vermonters really want to do the right thing. And we see that day in and day out at our materials recycling facility. Of all of the materials that come to that facility, 90% is actually sent out to market for recycling. So the, the 10% that's left back, that was just stuff that maybe shouldn't have been in the blue bin or it was contaminated. You know, the, there was still some peanut butter in the peanut butter jar. Um, but Vermonters really care, and we see that so many times. We get calls every single day, emails, how can I recycle this? What can I do to cut back on my waste? So it's really, I think this is a success story for Vermont in general. Um, 802-244-1777 is the number to call if you'd like to ask a question about trash disposal, recycling, et cetera, of uh, Beth Parent of the Chittenden South excuse me, the Chittenden Solid Waste District. Um, one of the things that uh, seems to be an issue is um, bubble wrap, styrofoam, peanuts. Mm -hmm. what, could, what, what can we do with those things? So, you know, sometimes there's some shipping and packaging businesses that will take back the bubble wrap and packing peanuts for reuse. Otherwise, unfortunately, it has to go in, in the trash. I mean, what we like to do in my house is if we get a package that's full of bubble wrap or peanuts, we try and save it in case we have to send something back or try and reuse it at some point just to keep it out of the landfill um, or, or try and find some creative uh, solutions to, to, to using that. Um, I've heard that, uh, uh, you know, like the UPS store or other, sh uh, other firms that uh, do a lot of shipping, um, uh, might gladly take them, uh, so that, uh, they don't, they can be reused. Exactly, exactly. And that's, we have a whole, if you go to our website, CSWD.net, there's a whole list of folks that will take back the styrofoam peanuts or the bubble wrap or the packing pillows or even some cardboard boxes. So, again, just I would go to CSWD.net and, and do a little search. 
All right. Um, and uh, Christmas lights. Um, ah, yeah. yeah. Now, this sounds like um, you might want to strangle me with a Christmas string of Christmas lights for asking a question. But, boy, this this looks difficult uh, to me in terms of throwing it out or recycling. How does how how does this this piece of it work? So if your holiday, if the holiday lights burn out or you need to replace them, um, we will take them at our CSWD drop-off centers in Essex, Hinesburg, Milton, South Burlington, and Williston. You can drop them off and for no charge. Um, we just ask that the bulbs are removed before recycling the rest of the, the string in the scrap metal bin. All right. Uh, we do have a question for you, Beth. Uh, okay. Forbes from East Corinth, Vermont, joins us uh, to ask a question of Beth Parent of Chittenden, uh, Chittenden Solid Waste. Uh, Forbes, go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, the Japanese uh, have, uh, for years, uh, practice for the Olympics and whatnot on plastic chips through a shredder, and uh, they don't have any snow, but they uh, line their, their mountains with uh, plastic, which gives a, an almost a, a similar uh, type of reaction as snow. But uh, how much would it cost to look into that since we have a diminishing snowfall here in the northeast, and might, that might be an option. They use it. I'm sure that we've studied there. Wow, Forbes! Thank you so much for for calling. And what a what an interesting option! I hadn't heard of that. Um, I I don't have the answer to that, but I think that is something that that is really interesting and should be looked at if if it's working for another country. I would imagine that uh, there's got to be. Uh, some real use uh, for this stuff that uh, isn't readily apparent right now. Um, uh, Beth, is, is there? Do you know of any research on uh, styrofoam and plastics? I mean, I know that you know fast food uh, places, uh, delis are, are are diminishing their use of styrofoam plastic because of the environmental effects. You know, that's that's one of the options that we have. Um, part of the team that I'm on is our outreach and education team, and we have um, a dedicated school outreach coordinator, a dedicated community one, and a dedicated business outreach coordinator who's working with small restaurants every single day. There's about 7,000 businesses in Chittenden County, so we're out there working with these folks every day and, and trying to find creative options for takeout packaging and because folks obviously we have to be first mindful of the environment and we also have to look at these businesses bottom line and what they are most concerned about is making sure they're not losing a ton of money so we've been working with a few um, the south end get down which is uh, used to be part of the burlington arts riot uh, they we help them get a grant and this is a, a tremendous success story they were seeing so many um plastic cups, the beer cups, and they were just throwing away and recycling so many of them every single Friday. So we worked with them to create a reuse program, and we gave them a grant, and they bought reusable um, beer cups, and they were seeing that they didn't need as many as they originally thought because the program was so successful. People were bringing those cups back to wash and then coming back the next Friday night and reusing them. So these are the kinds of things that, that we're starting to see. I'm not, 
I'm not 100% sure on all the research out there, which there's a ton, but these are the kinds of tangible things that CFWD is doing right now in our community every day. That's a really interesting idea. So we're talking about the red solo cups that everybody brought to keg parties. Okay. All right. Beth, I wanted to ask you about um, the market for recycled goods, um, if you know. Um, because because um, in other parts of the country, I used to live in Virginia, for example, and it really sounded like Virginia really didn't want to talk about recycling, et cetera. And I think it was because they were having difficulty uh, moving the recycled product. Uh, they didn't think that the market was that great for, like, recycled plastics, for example. Can you Do you have any information on that? Sure. As, as I mentioned earlier, we we see such a tremendous success story in Vermont through our materials recycling facility, which we have one of the highest rates that go out to market. More than 90% of what comes into our facility to be recycled actually goes to market to be recycled. Um, we are in the process right now of uh, back in November of 2022. I keep forgetting we're we're in 2024 now, but November of 2022, uh, voters in Chittenden County overwhelmingly supported CSWD taking out a bond to build a new materials recycling facility, which we are so grateful for the voters and we're so excited. Um, we're going to be building a uh, our current facility is 30 years old. So as you can imagine, things have changed over the last 30 years, especially in recycling. Um, our facility was built with a capacity to take about 25,000 tons per year, and we're processing over 48,000 tons per year. So this new facility is going to allow us to process up to 40% more materials at, you know, as our population grows and really make sure the quality of the recycling that we're pushing out to market is higher, is, is high quality. Um, it's also going to allow us to be able to recycle more. So we're very, very excited about the process, the, the, the prospects of, of what we're going to be able to do. This new facility is going to be very flexible so we can adapt as new markets come on. I mean, Every day, places like Amazon, they're creating new packaging. They're creating new opportunities. So our new facility is going to allow us to just keep up with those with those other businesses. Do you think the bottle law is contributing in a in a positive way still to uh, recycling? I mean, I would imagine that it is, and yet I get the sense that people don't re- uh, get into returning those bottles and cans the way they used to. So we we definitely see some some of those redeemed containers go through our our MRF. Um, we're we're definitely uh, you know that's one of those things the bottle bill that we are providing testimony to the legislature. We have folks who are working with them, but we really don't take a position on it because there's good and there's there's bad to both. Yeah, um, your outreach efforts uh, are are pretty significant in terms of uh, finding new ways to uh, reduce the amount of trash that goes into landfills. What else, are, what else is happening there? So we have a really dedicated outreach team that is out in the community every single day. We have a school resource, uh, a school outreach coordinator who is working with folks, little kids all the way from three years old, all the way up to college age 
teaching the, the importance of what goes where, why recycling is important. She, uh, she, de- she designates new planet protectors just about every single day. She's in the classroom. Um, and it's really heartwarming to see these children really get into the whole recycling spirit and understand that doesn't go there. This is where I put my, you know, my, my little juice box. This goes here. And then they bring that home to their parents. And then we have a community outreach coordinator who's really spearheading our whole volunteer effort. That's, we have a whole waste warrior program that is, these folks are out in the communities on, at concerts and events on the, on the waterfront in Burlington, for example, and really educating the public on, nope, that doesn't go in that recycling. Oh, that's compost. Make sure you put that here. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a business outreach coordinator that is really working with green teams and small businesses, large businesses. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun for our team. We offer lots of grants, um, tours, workshops, one-on-one assistance. Um, it's, it's a really fun team to be part of and to see all these creative solutions that folks are, are working on right now to reduce their waste. 802-244-1777 is the number to call if you would like to ask a question of Beth Parent of the Chittenden Solid Waste District. Um, one caller that uh, did not want to go on the air with us but still had a very relevant question was, uh, how do you recommend um, disposing of fluorescent bulbs? Fluorescent bulbs, our drop-off centers actually take the, all the light bulbs. So you could go to any of our drop-off centers with the exception of Burlington and Hinesburg and drop off all of those, those, those bulbs. Um, and there is also a discussion about um, uh, bulbs that contain mercury. Okay, light bulbs. I, I don't have all of that information right in front of me right now, but I will grab it for you. Uh, we, oh, the mercury light bulbs. I'm sorry about that. Uh, we have an environmental depot for folks in Chittenden County to call, and, and we will take those bulbs at Chittenden County's uh, environmental depot in South Burlington. Okay, and um... – <laughs> It's there. There is a significant safety uh, issue with these things, right? Because if they break, you are exposed to mercury vapor. Exactly. So uh, that's why we have folks. We have a, our environmental depot um, is on an appointment system. So you call, you make an appointment, you show, you drive in, drive through, and we will help you remove of any hazardous waste. A lot of people get stuff for Christmas that's battery powered, even stuff you don't get as a gift. Um, and yet these batteries expire. They have a regular life. They have a beginning, a middle and an end. And then that's it. Um, uh, I've always been reluctant to, uh, put, uh, expired batteries in the trash because sometimes you see them leaking. Exactly. Um, um but, but what else can you do with them? What, what do you do with batteries? So you can bring batteries. Please don't put batteries in your, your blue bin. They do not belong there. However, you can bring your batteries to any one of our drop-off centers for free, and we will recycle them for you. Is there uh, – can you talk a little bit about um, what happens in that recycling process? I ask because um, it would be great to be able to, you know, just use rechargeable batteries, but that's, those are, but they're a lot more expensive. Um uh, is there is there a better? I mean, the 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 whole 
recycling piece of these expired batteries? I mean, aren't they just dead? How do you recycle them? So they get we we have a, a program that we send them off, and they are those batteries are turned into into other things. Um, it, it could be sunscreen. It could be you know. So it uh, it's really just dropping them off at our CSWD drop off centers. Okay, um, and um, old electronics, uh, an old laptop. Mm-hmm. desktop computer or so forth, maybe an old TV. Um, uh, what about recycling those? So those are also accepted at most of our drop-off centers with the exception of Burlington. Um, and you just drive in and we will, we, there's a place for all electronics and you can put them up, you know, put them right in there. Sometimes there's a nominal fee depending on, on what it is. Um, obviously if they are not broken, we recommend reusing them or finding a place that will take those electronics. If they are broken, please, if you can't be fixed, they also have lots of um, fix-it cafes in around the state of Vermont. Um, so if you can try bringing it there and maybe find a new life for it, that's, that's what we recommend. Okay. And uh, old clothing, old toys that, that uh, may pop up, um, uh, what happens with those? Is there a um, – d- does – uh, the solid waste district do anything with that stuff or, you know, once so, it's thrown un- out? Yeah. Un- unfortunately, you know, we, we would recommend trying to, to find a new home for those toys or, or uh, other, other items. Um, but we do not have a place that we can bring those other than the trash. All right. And uh, when uh, there is cut grass, um, uh, leaves and so forth, um, uh, people don't necessarily think of these as um, uh, as as composting because they because it's more like food scraps. Um, is is um, is there a space issue with any of that stuff still? I mean, because like like the plastic bags versus the paper bags to put leaves and and cut grass in. So we we do accept all of that at our organics recycling facility on Redmond Road in Williston. Um, you can also go to the McNeil plant in Burlington, um, places like that. Okay. Uh, Beth Parent, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are um, going to have to take a break, uh, but we uh, thank you very much uh, for um, staying with us uh, for this half hour. Uh, Beth Parent of the Chittenden Solid Waste District, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, and Happy New Year. You bet. Um, coming up next, we have uh, Mike Fisher, the um, health care advocate at Vermont Legal Aid, to talk about uh, new legislation that may help folks on Medicare. This is Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Brad Wright. As the new legislative session is poised to begin, health care and those who have trouble getting adequate access to it is a common theme. The question is, can the state afford to do more, but also can it afford not to? Uh, here to talk about that is Mike Fisher. He is a former state representative from Addison County. He is the chief health care advocate for Vermont Legal Aid. Mike, welcome to the Vermont Viewpoint. Good morning. Good to be here. Thanks for taking a little time to 
talk to me about these issues. Sure, Mike. Um, you mentioned in your opinion piece in uh, VT Digger about the Medicare Savings Program. Um, people, you believe, don't quite know what to expect from Medicare when they become eligible. Sure. So, why don't I, Brad, why don't I just take a little step back and, and talk about the broad terms I'm using, and I'm going to do my very best not to use too much jargon. Okay. Uh, so, you tell me whether I've been successful. All right. Um, but, but generally, you know, there's these two public programs, one's called Medicaid and one's called Medicare, and generally, Medicaid covers people who are low-income, and Medicare covers people who are older or disabled. So, and uh, the Medicaid program, the first one, is administered by the state um, with federal approval because there's lots of federal money there. And the Medicare program is a federal program that the state has very little control over. Um, nothing we can do in the Vermont State House has any impact on what Medicare covers or how much it reimburses providers or anything like that. So while I am talking about Vermonters who are on Medicare, I'm really talking about our state Medicaid programs that support them. Is that confusing enough? Well, um, I was going to ask you about uh, the dual eligibles, but, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're talking about people in Vermont who are on Medicare either because they're over the age of 65 or because they have a disability. And, you know, when we look at the landscape of, you know, who's having a challenge getting the care they need, um, we are uh, honestly, I am blown away at how much the state has not addressed very low-income Vermonters on Medicare's needs. You asked the question up top, you know, can we afford to do it? Can we afford not to do it? Um, you know, people who are at very low incomes on Medicare often can't, you know, they can't pay the cost sharing. They can't pay the part of the bill that is left on them. And two things happen when people can't pay. Many, many Vermonters tell us over and over again, they love their doctors. They want to pay their providers, their, their, their hospital or their doctor, um, and they can't. And so, and they, and they don't know how they're going to pay the bill, so they don't go. Now, that's from a health policy perspective. When people don't go to the doctor, um, most of the time they don't magically get better, um, and their health care needs go up. So, um, so that's a disaster when people don't go because of because they're forced to make a financial decision. And so the population of Vermonters who are forced into that most often, um, well, a, a, a particularly acute group uh, are people on Medicare who are at very low incomes. Okay, so we have that uh, pretty well established. We know that there are folks, low-income folks, who just can't make ends meet, generally speaking, um, yeah. because either they haven't been able to save enough, they uh, didn't have um, a good enough job that paid them enough, 
Um, there are all a litany of reasons for that. Uh, but if you can uh, give us an idea of how many Vermonters we're talking about. Well, you know, it, it, we don't know exactly. You know, there's, there's one group of people that we can measure who are, you know, currently on one of the Medicaid-funded programs, um, you know, and, and you, know, you know, so we know that there's about 13,000 Vermonters who – don't get uh, the level of supports we think need them. Um, but um, so, there's many thousands, um, I think, is is the answer. Um, and, and I think the other thing to say, just to throw in there, we're falling behind our neighbors. Um, Maine and New York in the last two years passed bills to uh, improve access for this population. Massachusetts had done so a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Connecticut and, uh, and, you know, a handful of other states have also done this. I know that um, a lot of people in, who find themselves in uh, this financial circumstance also um, will have uh, – will maybe cut their pills in half because they can't afford to uh, refill the prescription um, in certain situations, the drugs can still be very expensive, even though uh, uh, it sounds like uh, 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 medicine for diabetes, for example, um, can be can sure. be, is is, much, is less expensive now as of January first than it was earlier. Um, uh, is there? Um, uh, it, it, what happens in communities? I guess I should ask first. Uh, before I go to yeah. what, what happens with the state, you know, there are some community programs that will help these folks out, correct? Sure. There, uh, there are free care policies at, at each of our um, hospitals and at all of the FQHCs. Um, but I think that, um, you know, you were asking, I think you were trying to sort of ground this a little bit. Who are we talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, when we, when we reach out to people and, and ask them, you know, how they're making it, um, tell us their stories. Uh, we hear from a lot of women. You know, you said up front earlier you were recognizing, you know, um, retirement accounts and um, Social Security payments. You know, they're very, very directly related to your earnings through your career. And, you know, who has not had access to uh, the same level of wages uh, not surprisingly, I think we all know this, it's, it's disproportionately, it's women and it's people of color and it's people with disabilities who um, have not been able to save money because their incomes have been low, uh, haven't received large paychecks um, for much of their careers, um, and so their Social Security benefits are low. And on top of that, uh, you know, women in particular in our society take time off of work to raise you know, our kids and to take care of our elders or to take care of their partners. And we hear those stories very directly from people who have, you know, they, they come to us and they say, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I did what was expected of me. I did what, what made sense for my family. Uh, and now, you know, I talked to a woman the other day. She said, you know, she's 69. She's young. And um, and she says, I, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, a furnace repair away from not being able to make it. 
and uh, and she gets no support for you know she's over income for the programs that help with the out of pocket expenses from uh, for Medicare. Right. Uh, 802-244-1777 is the number to call if you would like to ask a question, a healthcare-related question of uh, Mike Fisher, who is the chief healthcare advocate for Vermont Legal Aid. Mike, let me ask you about your experience um, in the state legislature moving legislation like the one you would like to see happen, uh, which is to uh, increase the income limits uh, for the Medicare savings accounts. Um, how difficult is it in a normal year uh, to move um, health care legislation that is going to cost money like this one would? Yeah, your, your question is a great one. This, this is a tough, tough thing to, to accomplish. Um, in, in a normal year, it would be tough. Um, I think this is going to be a tough, an extraordinarily difficult year for the legislature, given the tremendous pressures as a result of the flooding, as a result of uh, the housing pressures that Vermonters are in. Um, so it, this is uh, not a slam dunk. This is something that we're going to have to really push for. But, um, you know, I've watched the legislature do heroic things and come through at times when Vermonters really needed them. And um, I think this is one of those times where the cost of not doing it um, means that Vermonters don't get care or that Vermonters get care that they can't afford, they can't pay the bills for, that puts pressure on our providers. That puts pressure on our, on our hospitals, whether they, you know, uh, accept the, you know, the non-payment as free care or whether it just goes to bad debt. Either way, um, that goes to the bottom line for our providers. Sure. Uh, all of us. And uh, and short term um, expense versus long term, you 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 hinted at it back at the beginning when you mentioned that there are some people who just don't go to the doctor because they can't even afford the copays. But the problem with that is that if they don't go and their health concerns uh, worsen, then it ultimately becomes more expensive to treat them, and quite often they end up in emergency rooms, which is the most expensive health care. Yes, absolutely. And, and that reminds me, I, you know, I should have said this up front, but let me say it now. The Healthcare Advocates Office runs a helpline. And, you know, hey, heads up, listeners, don't take advice from somebody on the radio. No offense, Brad. <laughs> That's <laughs> when you're sure. making personal, When you're making personal healthcare decisions, you know, get somebody who you can talk to who uh, can address your own particular situation, who you can really fill them in on. Uh, so we run a helpline. We're not part of the state government. We're not part of an insurance company um, or a hospital. And our call-in number is 800-917-7787. And, you, you know, you'll get an advocate from my team who um, who addresses issues that Vermonters are facing every day. That's 800 917 uh, to call uh, Vermont Legal Aid. Um, Mike, can you explain? So, and that, so, and let, let me just say, we are part of Vermont Legal Aid. We're a project, but um, this is to call the Healthcare Advocates Office. Right. Um, can you explain how expanding the Medicare Savings Program would actually help? How, what, are, what are the mechanics of how this works? Um, 
so the, the mechanics are on the back end um, between the state and Medicare, and we would need to get approval for that. But the end result would be, um, you know, more than, I'm going to just say more than 13,000 low-income Vermonters who currently don't qualify uh, for full coverage um, uh, getting uh, uh, getting full coverage. So, so uh, we would be recognizing that uh, they're low enough income that we that it makes sense to support not only their Medicare premiums, which are not insignificant for this population, but also their Medicare co-pays. We, we generally expect Medicare to cover about 80% of the costs if you don't have a supplemental plan or this kind of Medicaid support. Right. I was just going to ask, uh, I mean, most of these folks are not going to be able to swing uh, a monthly payment for a Medigap plan. Correct. You know, why don't I just put it in perspective? Um, you know, the, the the program I'm talking about that covers um, cost sharing, if a single person earns more than $1,215 a month, they lose coverage for that. Hmm. So um, I don't know who out there is living on less than $1,215 um, even with lots of supports, um, that person is really scraping. And the concept that they it, it could cover 20% of the health care bill, I mean, you know, you go, you, you can spend $5,000 by sneezing, right, um, in our health care system. And um, we would generally expect that person to get a $1,000 um, copay. And, you know, that, that person, that family just can't possibly swing it. What uh, the the uh, overall inflation, and even though it's coming down now very gradually, uh, inflation, you know, uh, food, gas, everything, um, the cost of housing has has gone up significantly. How much has that exacerbated this existing problem? Absolutely. I mean, add to that fuel. Um, you're you're absolutely right. The um, you know, we're talking about people on fixed incomes that, um, you know, you know they, they get increases based on actions that, you know, Social Security, but um, uh, they don't get um, they don't get raises. You know, they, they don't. This is not a population of people who can do something different to bring in more money They're uh, They're past that stage of their lives. Right. Um, so you're right. The, the overall economic pressure is uh, just exacerbates this problem. Yeah, you you, you mentioned um, uh, in your uh, VT Digger opinion piece that uh, the policy reforms, like the Affordable Care Act, which is Obamacare, ignores seniors. Right. It wasn't designed to address uh, seniors' health care. But what about uh, dual eligibility for some of these folks, Medicare and Medicaid? Yeah, so so um, I, I, I'm using the term Medicaid, Medicaid programs for people on Medicare uh, to describe both uh, sort of more traditional Medicaid, um, known as Medicaid for the age, blind, and disabled, um, and the program that uh, you know wraps around people on Medicare with a little bit higher income that is called the Medicare Savings Program. Both of those are are Medicaid programs, and, um, you know, generally when we say dual eligible, I think, you know, we're talking about people on Medicare and the traditional Medicaid program. 
right. which has, you know, uh, you know, has a num has an even lower income to get into, and it has an asset test here in Vermont, so you, you can't have any savings hmm. tucked away. Okay. Okay. One eight hundred two four. Excuse me. Eight zero two. Two four four one seven 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 is the number to call if you'd like to ask a question of Mike Fisher, the chief healthcare advocate for Vermont Legal Aid. Um, the issue for uh, doctors um, who can't uh, receive a copayment from uh, a patient because the patient doesn't have the money. Um, can you talk a little bit about the position therein? Is there any recourse for them uh, beyond uh, what we've already talked about here? Well, I think it really depends on where the doctor sits. Um, if we're talking about a doctor who's uh, independent and um, out there on their own, um, um, I, you know, I honestly don't know what their options are. I, I believe Medicare really requires people requires providers to collect the co-pays. Um, but if we're talking about a doctor who sits at an FQHC, you know, a community clinic, or at um, one of our nonprofit hospitals, any hospital in Vermont, um, those hospitals have free care policies that uh, also assist for this population. Um, it's my guess that... Um the the women's issue uh, part of this, uh, because they have earned less over a lifetime of work, largely because of pay discrimination, um, they uh, if they are uh, widowed, but if they've you know they've lost a, a social security check, uh, if they're married, husband dies, um, they lose a check. How much of that uh, fig- factors into this? Do you think? You know, I, I don't know exactly the those details. I, I have sort of an understanding on a more general level that you know, women here in Vermont. There was a great report that that um, was you know, called "Change the Story." It came out in 2019, commissioned by the Vermont Commission on Women and others, and it um, it described what's going on for women in retirement here in Vermont, um, amongst other things. And it recognized that women get 59% of uh, what men get in Social Security here in Vermont. And the result of that is that 44% of Vermont retired women don't have enough to meet their basic needs. So it's pretty widespread. That is a shocking statistic. I uh, noticed it in your uh, digger piece um, and uh we're talking about thousands upon thousands of women and i suspect that many of them are suffering in silence over this yeah i think that's part of the, the story here is that um uh, maybe in part due to age and maybe in part due to us being vermonters um but vermonters don't like to talk about this stuff um and uh, and maybe there's a gender aspect as well um, here in our country, we expect people to make it, and when they can't, they often don't know where to turn or, or uh, and and don't like to speak out about it. Yeah. Um, do you? But but to your but to your point, I just wanted to yeah, say really clearly, sure. you know, this is a structural problem. This isn't something that these people did wrong. This is 
uh, something that's happening to a whole, you know, it's a structural inequity. Um, and that's sort of one of our chief arguments to the legislature. There's not a lot we can do to fix this inequity, um, but here is one thing um, that just, you know, it, it doesn't fix it. But um, for sure, we can't ignore um, this population of Vermonters in their, in their needs for getting the care they need. Yeah, um, and information, I mean, understanding what is available out there might be a, a little bit of a problem, too, because due to, due to isolation. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Mike Fisher, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Mike Fisher is the Chief Health Care Advocate uh, for Vermont Legal Aid and a former state representative. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. All right, and uh, that is about it for this edition of Vermont Viewpoint. This is WDEV.